0: So as you can't tell, I'm wearing a lot of hats today. And if I'm going to be honest, it's stressing me out a little bit. Um, So when I get stressed out, I just love to do the things I love to do um, and and try to get my mind off all those anxious thoughts. So we're going to play game. How does that sound? All right? Um, So originally, I had different thoughts about how this game was going to be. But we're going to change it up. And Greg made, where are these cookies from, Greg? I was going to say, are these Zivik cookies? All right. So these Zivik cookies are going to be our prizes today. Okay. So we're going to play a little bit of a game that I call Biblical Secular. I don't call it Biblical Secular. Sean Homan before me called it Biblical Secular, and I've stolen it. Um, but we repurposed it because normally this is a very violent game. Of anyone, these two should know, uh, normally every time we play Biblical Secular, someone gets hurt. Um, we've had scraped knees, we haven't had any broken bones, um, we did have a ruptured spleen though, so that was all kinds of fun, um, (laughs) yeah, so we're not gonna play that version today, okay, um, (laughs) Chris's eyes are like, yeah, it's, it's been chaos, um, so I just want to play a little trivia here of things that we may or may not know about Christmas. Because, you know, Christmas was yesterday, so the tree's still on the stage. We might not be singing Christmas carols today, but I feel like it's still kind of Christmas. We got to get, get beyond this weekend to get past that, all right? So I'm going to probably listen to Christmas music today still. Um, but I'm just going to play this randomly. I'm not going to pit you guys against each other. I just want to see if you guys know Christmas trivia. Does that sound good? Um, and so we're going to kind of do... Like a little buzzer system is just raising a hand. And the first hand I see go up, I'm going to let get the answer. And and this is like the downfall to playing games because I also hate playing games because everyone always gets so competitive. So um, please don't get competitive. I'm going to try to do my best um, of seeing these things. So we're going to start with a little secular Christmas. How's that sound? Okay. So in what country... Did the custom of putting up a Christmas tree originate? Tim. Incorrect. No. Uh, <laughs> I felt so bad saying no. Like I almost said yes, but that <laughs> you'll have to ask Greg later. How's that sound? <laughs> we could maybe hook you up. Anyone anyone guess? Yes. Germany, yes. Here, come and get your or Greg, you want to be my lovely assistant? Awesome. Thank you. Thank. you. <laughs> Take those cookies to her. All right. Good job. It is Germany. Sweden's a good guess. There's something else that originated in Sweden that was in trivia that I had, but there is something in our traditions that originates in Sweden. Okay, so how about this? This is another secular one. What was the first company that used Santa Claus in advertising? This might blow your minds first company, it's an American company, that used Santa Claus in advertising. They're, they're considered like the people that originated our current version of Santa Claus. Do you know? What? No, not Sears. That's a great guess, though. Tim? Higby's, no. Chris, you had one. I saw the... No. No, you guys are going to be blown away by this. You guys are thinking really, really deep about this. That was just good. But his coloring comes from it. Yes. Yes. Coca-Cola, come and get your cookies. So, a little background than that. Santa originally was green, all right? And when Coke started using him, they made him red, because as we all know, Coca-Cola is red. So, our current modern-day Santa Claus is red because he sponsored Coca-Cola. Isn't that crazy? Never knew. All right, let's switch to biblical a little bit. So, where, all right, so these are biblical questions. Where did Jesus' family flee to when they left Bethlehem? Where did they flee to? Dave, I saw your hand first. Egypt. Yes, correct. Steve, I saw your hand go up too. So we're gonna we're gonna give. You don't need the cookies? <laughs> Do you want me to give you a question just for good spirit's sake? Just see if you get it. Uh, even though you raised your hand to that one. Who, who appeared to tell Mary she was with child? Do you know? It's a specific name is what I'm looking for. Yes. Gabriel. Sorry, Steve. I, I was like, gave you a question that you knew and then gave you a tougher one. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, all right. So let me ask this. In what book is the story of the little drummer boy found? Any guesses? Chris is leaning in. In what book is the story of the little drummer boy found? The little drummer boy. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Chris? No, because you're not wrong. Anyone else guess? What book of the Bible? Mary. None. That is correct. It's a trick question. It's a trick question. The little drummer boy, which somehow we feel like is like doctrinally sound, like (laughs) is just a made-up story about a little drummer boy that does not exist in Scripture. Um, So final question, and that kind of mentions my little theme here of where I'm going with this, is how many wise men slash magi slash kings does the Bible say visited baby Jesus? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. Take her. Thank you. It doesn't say. So the last two were a bit of trick questions there, okay? Um, there's a lot of things that we celebrate about Christmas. Sorry, that's the end of the game. Thank you guys for participating. Thank you for being good sports. Sorry if I was unfair to anyone. And if you want cookies, maybe we get you some. <laughs> we could probably give everyone cookies at this point today. <laughs> yeah that's right that's right so there's a lot of things about christmas that we think we know that we just don't know or are incorrect like i love nativity scenes but every time i see a nativity scene that has wise men in it i want to rip it down because it is biblically inaccurate Okay, And this is from the guy who put the nativity scene up on top of the main entrance doors of the worship center at Wadsworth. And there's kings in it. Because if I didn't put the kings in it, someone would probably yell at me. right? But it does not exist that way. Those kings did not come until sometime afterwards. So I want to kind of use this springboard to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So the story of the wise men actually comes to us in Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 2. And I'm not going to put it up on the screen because we're not going to really, like, dig into it. We're just going to kind of reference to it. But we find their story in the chapter of Matthew 2, and it follows the long genealogy of Jesus Christ, okay? And then at the end of chapter 1, we get a brief story of his birth. Okay, it's the shortest story. It's like, you know, Luke has this grand thing where we hear the backstory of the angel coming to not only Mary, but to her cousin Elizabeth that foretells the birth of John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin. And we get there's all this rich detail in the story of the shepherds, and they, they come to see the baby, and then they go rejoicing in the streets. The Christmas story comes from Luke. But in Matthew, you get like two sentences, and there's, like, there's a guy named Joseph, and uh, he had a wife named Mary, and they, had, and they had God's son, and his name was Jesus. And that's pretty much like the synopsis that we get in Matthew. And, and I want you guys to, beyond today, go back and read that, because it's probably different than you think. Like anytime we have thoughts on something that we pull from Scripture, that we don't actually go into Scripture and look at it, we're always like, wow, this is different than I remember. So the story in chapter 2 about the wise men has this whole drama scenario that plays out with King Herod where he's trying to find out where this born king is that he wants to go kill, right, because he thinks he's going to take his job. And we have this whole subplot developed, but these these magi, we don't know where kings comes from, because they weren't kings, they were just wise men, or magi, and that comes directly from scripture. Magi is the name it uses that translates uh, from the Greek and the Hebrew, and then that translates to wise men. So historically, and doctrinally, we believe that these wise men that were from the east were astronomers of some sort, okay? Any idea why astronomers might be coming and looking for a baby born in Bethlehem? What? The bright star, right? So there's this star that appears out of nowhere in the story of Luke, right? And the birth, there's this star that marks where Jesus is born. And there's these really smart astronomer guys over in the Orient that are like, huh, Imagine that. Imagine a star just appearing out of nowhere in our sky. Like every Facebook post, every news channel would be like, there's this star that just appeared out of nowhere. What is it? And we would all go track it down and we would find it. Well, that's who these wise men were. They were astronomers that were from the east. They were probably from Babylon or Persia. Okay, They would have been from those kingdoms. And somehow in scripture, we see that they knew what they were looking for. They knew they were looking for the king of the Jews. So when they come and they talk to Herod, they're like, hey, we're looking for this baby that was born probably about two years ago because it's taken us that long to pinpoint where the star was and then travel here. We're looking for the king of the Jews. So there's no context for how they know this, but they know what they're looking for. They come to look for the king of the Jews. And, we all, and the other thing we know about them is that they were wealthy. And we know they were wealthy because of the gifts that they brought. So that's why we always see them in the, nativities, in the nativity scenes dressed very nicely. Lots of purples. If you guys never knew this little, little factoid, I'm like, I got my youth pastor hat back on today. This little, this little factoid, purple was the most expensive dye that you could use. So that's why purple is always the color of royalty. So a lot in our nativity scenes, a lot of these kings will have shades of purple on. It shows that they're wealthy. Because they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh, which were all pricey gifts, okay? And I've always thought this thing about these gifts, all right? Why did they bring a baby, those? Like, they're like, well, I guess it would have been a toddler at that time, right? Because the, the scripture tells us it was about 18 months to two years after, Alright, that when they finally show up and they bring these gifts. And imagine like us walking into a toddler today who's expecting, I don't know, what a toddlers want this year. I feel like I gotta consult Robin on this because he's always got these factoids, right? But whatever you would bring a toddler, like a, a couple years ago to have been a tickle me elmo, right? Or some kind of Mickey Mouse doll or you know, some kind of learning thing. No, they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. What's a baby got to do with that, all right? But it was their concept of this idea of a king. And so just like everyone else in this time, they expected Jesus to be an earthly king, right? They expected him one day. Herod wants to kill him because he thinks he's going to take his throne, right? All the Jews wanted him to rise up and take that throne, and even these wise men for the Orient, who hear he's the king of the Jews, bring him fit, gifts fit for a king. But they're all missing the point. And just like everyone, over time, we as humans love to miss the point on things. Right? So we're going to get into this first section, which I'm calling. I see it's already up on the screen. What they brought. right? And not only just talking about the wise men, but about what people over history have brought to Jesus, all right? So we understand this concept, right? So the beginning of chapter 2 says the wise men came not only to bring him gifts, but it says specifically in Scripture they came to worship Jesus, right? So we understand this concept because what are we all here today to do? Every one of you guys walked in here because you came You've traveled from lands afar, right, to come and worship Jesus. So there were, these guys were traveling somewhere to worship and or give or, or offer something to him. Now, this is a thing that we see time and time and time and time again in Scripture. God's people are constantly traveling from somewhere to come to where God is to leave things whether those are sacrifices, whether those are offerings, whether that's to to give worship, whether that's to set up camp, whether that's to establish a kingdom, whatever it may be, we come from a place from afar, we come to a specific place to worship and give something to God. Now, in the Old Testament, we're going to go into a part of Scripture that is probably unfamiliar to a lot of us, but we're going to be in Malachi, all right? Malachi chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. And it says this this is speaking to people who are coming to worship God. And this is God's reaction to those people coming to worship Him. He says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And continuing, it says, But you profane it by saying, The Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, What a burden! And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? And so this is the question of that of the, the prophet Malachi, is that the people of God were traveling all this way, and they were bringing the wrong things. or well, more importantly, they were bringing bad things, okay? So he says in here, you know, you, you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals, and you offer them as sacrifices. You, in New Testament law, God set up this thing where for sacrifices, you were supposed to bring the best of the best, okay? So imagine these Israelite people, these Jewish people, and you have your pen of, of goats or lambs or, or whatever you would have, and they'd go, which one do I want to take? Now, God's requirement is that you take the best one and you grab it and you bring it. And they were like, you know what? That guy in the back's looking a little off, and he's maybe only got three legs, and his and his, you know, wool isn't really good. We're gonna take that one to God today. And so these people were picking their least worthy sacrifice. And they were bringing it to God and sacrificing it. And so God is speaking here in Malachi, and He's saying, I might as well just shut the doors, because you guys are messing it all up, right? And He says, and He says that they were complaining. It's a burden. And uh, we don't even want to bring sacrifices, right? Sounds familiar. Because I think, I think we do these same things today. The issue amongst God's people back in Malachi was the quality of what they brought and the quality of what they gave. You see, the issue is that they viewed bringing the correct things as pointless, as burdensome. And is it just me, or do always the people? I don't. Know, maybe I do this. I always read in whininess into people in scripture. You know, like they say, "What a burden." You know, right? Um, it's just this like idea because I I know I can be that way. Like, and I don't want something. I'm like, you know, you do like you just pout. You you we do it all the time, and I just. Man, I just, I placed myself in here. I don't know if you guys do that, but I placed myself in here, and I'm just like, why are you the worst, Brad? So throughout Scripture, time and time again, we see this sentiment over and over and over again through God's people. The things that God asked for us to do, we're like, ah, oh, do we have to? Like, I just had a conversation. I don't remember who it was at this point. But, like, I just happened to notice that, like, I just said like a lot of times. Sorry about that. 75% of our churches in America are closed today. Heaven forbid we got to get up and go to church, right? I was talking to the real hosses about that. <laughs> like, but oh, it's the day after Christmas. What a burden, right? Do we not see us in Malachi? You see, they, they brought, these people in Malachi, and even us today, they brought what was important to them, not always what was important to God. Think about that. I'm going to look at my pen. I'm going to grab the sheep I want to bring, not the one that you asked me to bring, God. And I'm going to bring it, and I'm going to place it at your altar. And God's like, shut the doors. They're not bringing me what I asked them. Man, that just hits me so hard. When I see it repeating itself again and again and again for us today. But not all doom and gloom today, all right? We're not gonna go doom and gloom route, we're gonna go positive route, okay? All this is in scripture until one time. One time, the people of God got it right. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 says this They devoted themselves, I might have flipped these, Dad. I think I got them backwards, so jump to the next slide and go backwards. My bad. That's my fault. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. It continues. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, these this group of people got completely opposite of what the group of Malachi were doing. They were doing everything God asked them to do. And what is the result? Flourishing, blessing, growth. They said that people were added to their number daily. This comes after 5,000 people plus stand up and respond to Peter's message at the day of Pentecost, where they all received the Holy Spirit, and the church is just moving, right? Why? Because the Acts 2 church brought something completely different, okay? Okay? They brought something completely different that we don't see anywhere else in Scripture. Number one, they brought a devotion to God's Word. Okay, we see in Scripture that this church was sitting at the feet of Jesus' apostles and disciples daily. right? So they were constantly in the Word, not just on Sundays. They were doing it every day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. right? They were sitting in scripture. And the second part of that is that they were meeting daily. Like, think about that. Like, there was no, like, day off after Christmas Eve. Like, they just were always getting together to worship, to break bread, to prayer, to learn, to grow, to be in community. And that's the second thing. They had an understanding of what community actually is. See, the church was together in more than just the word of being together. They didn't just gather. They literally sold all their stuff so that people would have what they need. Did you catch that in that verse? They sold their possessions <laughs> so that no one would have need. That's crazy to me. Like I don't even understand that in like my modern context. So like, you know, so my truck is your truck. And my house is your house. And my clothes and boots and guitar is y'all's clothes and boots (laughs) and guitar. Like, for us, it's weird. Like, it's just like, no, those are yours. We don't want them. All right. But just this idea of they were so in community that they breathed and pulsed as one community with no need it says need was gone and the and the other part of their idea of community is they did biblical things together so not only were they together daily they were in the apostles teaching they were in god's word they were praying they were breaking bread which means they were taking communion okay they were doing these things together and it was working and the final part of this of what they brought is they they brought a desire to see god move because they understood community and fellowship. They understood prayer. And they understood how to reach people. Like, I, I just think about, like, if we could, we've said this a thousand times, right? If we could do church on the square in Medina every week, we'd do it in a heartbeat. You know why? Because people are just, like, walking by. And they're like, oh, what's going on? You guys are having church? Oh, sweet, we'll stay, right? Like, that is just, like, the ultimate place. And that's what these people were doing. They were in the temple courts, it says. They were meeting daily in the temple courts. And so you see this little powwow people over in the corner doing religion differently than anyone had ever done it. And people were like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're having church. We're talking about Jesus. And they're like, can I join you? Absolutely. Have some prayer. Have some breaking of bread. Have some teaching. Have God's word. Oh, you need something? We got you. Like, think about that. That is, that is crazy to me. There's a section of the Bible after this in Acts that's literally called the believers pray. (laughs) Like, I think that's just a silly heading to a section. The believers pray. It sounds like the most boring thing ever, but listen to what it says, Acts 4.31. It says, now after they prayed, the place where their meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And that's not like in some were filled with the Spirit of God and or even most were filled with the Spirit of God or everyone but one guy who wasn't who fell asleep was speaking the Spirit of God. It's all were filled with the Spirit of God and spoke the word of God boldly. Like this is the part of Scripture. This is when the church is just on it (laughs) and they are rolling. And I think it's a great picture into what we need to try to shoot for, right? Verse 32 continues in this way. It says, all the believers were in one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all there were and all in them all that there were no needy persons among them for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Whew That's crazy. That sounds like a that sounds like something that changes the world, right? And yet here we are in 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 I say this to myself, you know, here we are, we can barely, and when I say we, I say the American church, okay? Here we are canceling Sunday services because it's a day after a holiday. And here we are going, I don't know if I can get out of bed, you know? Like, it's just, like, I like. trust me, my mind was like, whew, that's a lot of hats today. Anyway, God, I could just uh, avoid that. It's not how it works. It's not how we're called to be the church. It's not how we're called to follow Christ. So my final little section I want to talk about, we're moving toward the end, is what we bring. All right? What will we bring? We have two options. We can trend toward the church of the people of God found in Malachi, who were selfish, lazy, preferential, and entitled. Or we can trend toward the church in Acts, which we're giving passionate, open-handed, and humble. And which of those lists sound like the things that God asks us to do? Like, which of those sound like the fruits of the Spirit? God does not ask us to be the people of God following him in Malachi, where everything is a burden, when everything asked of us is uh, whiny, whiny Bible books, you know. Oh, but do we have to? That's not what we're called to be. Unfortunately, in the modern era of church, it has been reduced to a sixty to ninety-minute show. Like I hate to say it, but it's true. A sixty to ninety-minute show is what church is now. And this this has all kinds of effects. It's made churches competitive because we fight over people like their customers, right? We fight over this branding, over that branding. This has made our worship not about God but instead about us. And I really like that worship today because they played the songs I like listening to on the fish. But they didn't play those songs I like listening to on the fish. Mm, God, I don't know how worship was today. Right? And I'm saying these things because this is me. This has made our hearts to be more concerned about what we get over what we bring. And that is the greatest twist of following Christ that can ever be achieved. And I think the enemy, Satan, the evil one, whatever name we want to put on him, has reached and twisted our perceptions of what church is. Because we're all about what we get over what we bring. So, Northside Medina, I think you guys know just kind of the challenges of this. And band, if you guys want to make your way up, that is cool. We are on the front lines of doing something amazing in this city, right? We are on the front lines. Like, think about this. Think about where we've been. Two years ago, I taught this exact same Sunday in Medina High School, not having any idea what the next two years were going to bring, right? Think about this. We were in Medina High School, and we got, had to leave Medina High School. We then entered into the lovely pandemic, <laughs> that we are still sitting around in, right? We had a summer then in 2020 of random worship on the squares. It was like every other week, but then sometimes it was every week, and then it was every third week because it would rain, and it just was all over the place, right? Then we were able to come to this building. It was last winter, last fall, I think. You know, and that's been such a blessing. It gave us a, a permanent roof. And it gave us a place to, you know, kind of give ourselves an identity again. We are actually able to meet every week. Like, how cool is that, you know? Um, this summer, we, we were in the park, and we were back to kind of here and there and everywhere. And if it rained, church looked different and, and just all over the place. But we are now in the season where we are walking toward having a home, right? Two years, Two years, amen. Yes, yes, it's awesome. Two years of wandering around in the wilderness, some places better than others, <laughs> and we're on the cusp of potentially something amazing. And I look at every single one of you guys sitting out there, and you know, um, I mean, I don't think it's coincidence. I know I do this. I know all pastors do this. We know who comes consistently. <laughs> And it's no surprise that the faces I see are the ones that are here the day after Christmas. I'll just be honest about that. It's no surprise. But God has been with us every step of this journey. And that's one thing we should not and cannot forget. That God has been with us every single step of this journey. And he has not only placed us on the doorstep of Medina, but where he is placing us coming up in five weeks He's placing us not only on the doorstep of Medina, but on the doorstep of Brunswick and the doorstep of Strongsville. Like if you get in your car from our new campus, you drive, I think it's six or seven minutes, depending on lights, you can be in downtown Brunswick. And about another eight past that, you're in downtown Strongsville. Both of those are about 10 minutes less than it takes to get to the Wadsworth campus. So we're right on the doorstep of a lot of things. And I want you guys to hear this today, guys. The impact of what Northside Medina Has on these areas, and it has for the kingdom of God, will be found in what we bring. It will be found in what we bring. It'll be found in the prayers we pray. It'll be found in the hours that we give. It'll be found in in the conversations that we have of bringing other people this to this church. In the depths and the riches of what God has in store for Northside Medina if we just follow him, is beyond any of our expectations. Right? 700 people on the square for Christmas Eve. What? (laughs) We're like, oh, we're going to shoot for 500. That's probably ambitious. Oh, we're out of candles? Awesome. The things that God can do with what we bring are beyond any of our wildest dreams. So I wanna encourage you guys, the ones who are here, the day after Christmas, let's do it, let's do it. I like am getting emotional, but like, let's, let's do it. There's, there's 50% of this city out here that does not know who Jesus Christ is. And we have the power to do it. Whether it's making a cookie or singing a Christmas carol, We're giving them a cup of hot chocolate. Let's bring our best and let's change this world and make it a little bit closer to heaven than what it is now. So guys, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you through tears and through songs of praise. God, you have us on the threshold of something amazing. Let us be the people that lean into you. Let us be the people that raise our concerns, our petitions, our prayers to you. Because, God, we know that you can do more things with it than we can ever dream of. We thought Medina High School was gonna be the best thing. And guess what? You had bigger plans in store. We thought 500 candles and 500 cookies and 500 cups of cocoa were gonna be enough, but you had more in store. And God, I can't wait to add the next thing to that list. God, may the people who call this place home feel your presence right now. And may you call us out of what we have come to believe church to be and call us to be that Acts 2 church which we strive after all the time. May that be our prayer. And may God, may all the things that we put in front of you, may they fall to the wayside. May they be found wanting. And may the things that you bring when we bring ourselves to you, be all that we ever need. May they truly be enough for us. And may you use us and your word in this church to change this city and this county and wherever you call it to go. God, we give all these things to you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we do pray.